question that is often asked by newcomers to a liturgical church, such as St. Paul's or the Anglican Church. And by liturgical, I mean a church that um, celebrates a, a church season and a church calendar that might be quite different um, from the calendar that most of us um, schedule our days by. And by liturgical church, I mean a church that uh, participates in um, a regular pattern of prayers in our services and so forth and so on. And the question that often comes to those newcomers in the liturgical church, and even folks maybe who've been in a liturgical church for years, the question often is, why Lent? Why Lent? What is the point? Beginning here on Ash Wednesday, continuing for the next six and a half weeks, what is the point of this peculiar Christian season? Worship will be subdued. Many of us in this room will give up things for Lent or take on a spiritual discipline during Lent. Some will fast. Others will be more intentional about their prayer lives. Why? The world around us is, God willing, starting to celebrate spring soon. I hope. The flowers will start to bloom on the azaleas. And yet we have a barren flower up here at the altar. The world will be um, celebrating spring things, and yet we will be lamenting our sins. It's a peculiar season. Why? What I want us to do tonight is focus our thoughts in on one word, okay? One word that I think sums up Lent in a very important and profound way. And that word, Paul used it a lot in our reading from 2 Corinthians, that word is reconciliation. Lent is at its very core about reconciliation, our being reconciled with God, our being reconciled to each other, so that on that Easter Sunday, we may celebrate as one body, as a reconciled people, that our Lord, who we thought was dead, has been raised. So the 40 days of Lent, and here's a little bit of trivia, um, that 40 days does not include Sunday, okay? If you counted 40 days from today, you come up about six days short of Easter. Um, Sundays, we're celebrating resurrection days, and so they're not part of the great 40 days of Lent. But at the same time, we are celebrating Lent, but anyway, that's just how we do it. <clears throat> the 40 days of Lent culminate and these great events of Holy Week, the passion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these events, which we will look ahead to week after week for the next six weeks, these events are about nothing at all if they are not about reconciliation. That is what they are. That is God reconciling us to himself in his son, Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do tonight is take a little bit of time. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians, and we're going to see how we're reconciled to God and then we're going to talk about what exactly we might do to appropriate that during this Lenten season. So how we're reconciled to God, that's um, going to be less practical and more um, theoretical, but, but I'm hoping to catch your heart with that. And then how we might appropriate it. I'm hoping this will be practical. Some things you might be able to use this Lenten season um, to help us reconcile, be reconciled to God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible or a phone or something with a Bible on it, I love it when you follow along. And you can pull that out right now. 
Um, otherwise, I'll go through it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, beginning at verse 21. This is one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus. Okay, so follow along with me. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's imploring us. He's just on the verse before. He's imploring us, be reconciled to God, because God made Jesus to be sin, even though he didn't know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the heart of reconciliation. That is the center of this, this great exchange, is how we're reconciled to God. That sinless Jesus would take on our sin. In fact, Paul says that he would become sin. And he does that so that we might be made right with God. But not just made right with God, that we would somehow become the righteousness of God. What an amazing thing this is. That we, and we come here tonight in our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. And when I talk about sin, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. And I would say, well, you are. Consider for a moment the standards you set for other people, the expectations you have of those around you, okay? Consider that expectation. You know, what is the um, ideal person? How should they behave? How should they interact with me? What am I looking for um, in that situation? Consider that for a second. Then ask yourself, can I live up to my own standards? Can I live up to my own standards that I have for all of you in this room? No. Now, if we can't even live up to our own standards, how on earth are we going to come close to God's standard? Perfect and pure and holy God, how will we possibly reach that? The answer is we can't. Because we're sinful people. We do things we shouldn't be doing, and you know what they are. You don't do things that you should be doing, and you know what those are as well. You cannot reconcile yourself to God. But that's the great news of Jesus Christ. He became our sin so that we might become his righteousness. That we might be reconciled to him. That, friends, is how we are reconciled to God. But Paul is not content to leave us there. He's not content to tell us about reconciliation, to throw that out there and move on. Because he knows too often we might get that message, it might somehow change us, and then we might lose it. And so he goes on in chapter 6. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Paul is saying the time for salvation, the time for grace, the time to be reconciled to God is now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but right now. He says, don't let that go. Don't accept 
the grace of God in vain. Treasure it. Ponder it in your heart. Always chase after it. Do not accept it in vain. Friends, we live in a culture that is still largely Christian. Especially here in the South, and especially in Somerville. Now things are changing, and I know those of you who have been around for a long time, you can tell me all the changes that have happened. And I know this. I know they're changing. But for the most part, the question in Somerville is not, do you go to church? But where do you go to church? Generally speaking, not everybody, but generally speaking, that's still the culture we live in. And because of that, I would say to you, it is very easy to take the grace of God in vain, to, to let it slip out of our fingers. Why is that? When our faith is challenged, we actually hold on to it more tightly. When we are, are, are being challenged, when it's actually hard to follow Jesus, in many ways we hold on to it more tightly. It is more cherished of a gift. The problem is, and I'm thankful for this, it's not a problem, I'm thankful, excuse me. I'm thankful for this. But nobody in this room is in danger of losing their head because they believe in Jesus. You're not in danger of that. And thank God we're not. But we are in grave danger because we're not challenged, because we don't understand what it means to live out an alternative worldview, to live as different types of people in society, because we're not challenged to do that, we are in grave danger of taking the gospel in vain, of having it slip out of our fingers, because we look like everyone else. We, look, we do things like everyone else. And so all of a sudden Christianity gets watered down and the gospel gets watered down. That's what happens to the Corinthians. They're in Corinth and they're losing the understanding that God's grace changes us and it makes us a different type of people. Sometimes following Jesus, unfortunately for us, doesn't look that much different than our neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus. He might have more free time on Sunday morning, but other than that, it looks very similar. And that's a problem. When that happens, we are taking the grace of God in vain. I'm thankful, though, because Lent offers us a chance to refocus, to reprioritize, to actually claim the differences of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus. If we're to observe a holy Lent, then Lent will, then, then we'll not be allowed to take the grace of God in vain. This time of year, we're called as unpleasant as it is. Listen to this. This is how we're going to do this. If we want to observe a holy Lent, if we want to be reconciled to God, if we don't want to take the grace of God in vain, then our sinfulness must be ever before us. It must always be in front of us. When we lose track of that, when we lose grasp of that, that's when we start slipping into a culture that doesn't understand these things. But if we can put our sinfulness always in front of us, then we're ready for reconciliation. Then we're ready to hold tight to the grace of God. 
question then is how are we going to do this? How are we going to be reconciled? We've seen it in Jesus Christ, but how are we going to get our sin in front of us so we can actually hold on to that, so we can know it in our heart of hearts? The first thing I want to say to you is this. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can do that. There's nothing you can do, as we were saying, there's nothing you can do to earn the grace of God. There's nothing you can do to um, hang on to that by being a better person or a more holy Christian. But we do have an opportunity during Lent to do some things that help us to remember our sinfulness. Now, that's not pleasant. That's not something we want to do. But that is a good and holy and godly thing to do, especially this time of year. We can engage in spiritual disciplines that help us to seek the grace of God. Spiritual disciplines that help us to become acutely aware of our sins. And not just the sins we engage in, but the sins we don't engage in. The, 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 th- the sins of um, neglect. Sins that we, we, we think we should be doing, but that we're not. And so I'm going to give you four things. I'm going to put four things before you that you might consider this Lenten season to help you keep your sin ever before you. To keep it in front of you so that you might hold tight to the grace of God. The first one is this. Far and away, the, the very first one. Read your Bibles. Read the Scriptures. Pour through them. Let them show you what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a holy child of God. Let them convict you in those places where you have fallen short. Let them remind you time and time again of the promises of God. Now, how do you do that? Well, you can start in Genesis. Um, four books in or so, there's a book called Leviticus, and that one's pretty tough. Um, but you can do that. You can start at the beginning and read it to the end. Or there's other ways. There's other plans. There's other ways to read your Bible. Talk to somebody who knows these things. There are plenty of people in this room tonight, plenty of people in this parish who can help you read your Bibles. John and I would be happy to come alongside you. But maybe you make a priority for Scripture this Lenten season. Second, maybe you make prayer a priority. Listening for God. Praying to God by all means, but also, what if we just sat still and listened to hear what the Lord might say? Let's be honest, this can be very hard for some of us to do. To sit still and to listen. Others of you are really good at that. I'm, I struggle with it. I really have to, to push on to do this well. But I'm telling you, persevere. It's very hard at first. Satan loves to attack us in this area. He loves to say, you can't pray. You can't sit still. God's not listening to you. You don't feel him, so it must not be working. You don't have a direct line to him. You need to go talk to one of your more holy friends, and they can pray for you. Satan loves to get us on that. First thing that happens to me, I'm telling you, I sit down to pray, and everything that I've forgotten to do for the previous two weeks, and friends, I'm telling you, that is a lot of things, everything I've forgotten to do for the past two weeks, all of a sudden comes to mind, and I'm remembering it. Okay, and now instead of praying, I'm burdened by all these things I need to get done. That's Satan. He's conveniently reminding us at a very inopportune time. How do you deal with that? I just write it down and move on and say, thank you, I'll get to it later. But pray, it's not easy. I'm I'm not being, I'm not trying to be pious and say, oh, just sit down and pray and become one with God. It's a hard thing to do. 
Maybe that's something you're called to take up over this Lenten season. Well, maybe you're called to fast. Fast from a food, fast from social media, fast from television, um, Netflix, whatever it might be. Maybe God is calling you to fast and, and, and take something out of your life that is taking a lot of your time or a lot of your thought and refocus your thoughts on God. For some of you, you might pick a day of the week and actually abstain from eating any sort of food till dinner. That's a hard thing to do, too. You get really hungry. But in the midst of that, at some point, there's a, a threshold you cross where you actually get really focused. And you focus in on who God is and what he's done for you. And then finally, the last thing I would encourage you to consider is sacrifice. We see this in the second part of our reading today. Paul is describing a life that has been given up for Jesus. He's describing a life that is not marked, not marked by the successes of the world, but is actually marked by uh, many times defeat, um, many times um, low status, poverty. And Paul is taking these things and he's saying, these are my marks of following Jesus. He has given up an amazing career, an amazing career as a Jewish rabbi and teacher. He's given that up so that he could follow Jesus. What are we called to actually give up for somebody else? Is there something you can do for your husband or your wife that is actually maybe very costly or very hard for you to do, but you could do to serve them, to sacrifice for them? Maybe for your brother, your sister, or for your parents. What, could, what is God calling you to do to sacrifice for somebody else? Four things, then, that you can take on this Lenten season. Scripture, prayer, fasting, and sacrifice. But remember why you're doing it. So that our sin can be put before us, so we can confess and repent and be reconciled to God. And so in a few minutes, um, we'll actually invite you to keep a holy Lent. We'll have time to sort of pray on that, some quiet time, and, and let the Lord speak to you. And I do pray that this is an invitation, that this Lenten season you would focus not on the things of this world, but focus on God. Focus on being reconciled to Him. Focus on repentance. Invite Him to put our sin ever before us. And as we wait in quiet and reverent anticipation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I pray that when that day comes, we will know true freedom and true joy and the hope of eternal and everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, you've called us to be reconciled to you. And I pray that you would put our sin in front of us, that that might happen that we would receive once again the grace of your son Jesus, and that we would not take that in vain, but hold fast to it. And so Lord, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would equip and enable each of us in this room to observe a holy Lent. That we may do so, and in so doing, be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.